0: Well, hello, everybody. This is The Rose Woman. I'm your host, Christine Marie Mason. Today, I have the incredible pleasure of talking with Dr. Nina Kraus. She is a neurobiologist at Northwestern University, studying sound and the brain, and how sound creates us, how sound governs us, and how sound can heal us. I had never heard the term, the sonic self, but that's, in fact, part of what we're talking about Today how we can improve the experience of being alive by becoming more aware of our sound. Uh, She has a new book coming out, The Sound Mind, and stay tuned because at the end we have a giveaway of that book. Let's get to it then. Dr. Krauss? Just this morning, we were talking about Abracadabra,
1: you know, with your words you create. We were talking about enchantment and incantation and how sound vibrates things into being. And, you know, for the most of us who aren't musicians and who aren't sound scientists, you know, it's kind of an ambient thing, but the power of vibration and sound is uh, just pervasive. So today we're going to talk a little bit about sound and the brain and how the brain is making sense out of sound and how that's creating our cognition and creating our world and whatever else we want to talk about. Please welcome Dr. Nina Krauss. Thank you. First of all, I'd love to hear about the core of your work and what you're investigating on a daily basis.
2: The easy way of talking about the work that I do is just to say the words sound and the brain. So, in fact, if, if you go to our, our website, our magical website, which is called Brain Volts, uh, you will see that we study many different things. We study reading and music and head trauma, uh, concussion, bilingualism, music, rhythm, disorders such as language disorders, such as autism. Uh, so, so many different things. Aging. You know, you, so so all of these these important parts of um, who we are and how we interact with the world, and you might wonder, you know, what what are they doing at brain vaults? But it, it is all under this umbrella of sound and the brain, and part of what my book is about is to uh, let people know how important sound is in the things that we care about. You know, sound is, is invisible. And, you know, we, we're living very much in a, in a visually biased world. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that people don't often recognize how important sound is, and how it contributes to uh, our lives and making us who we are.
1: Yeah. And when you're as you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about the kind of ambient sound that is present and we're not really aware of the targeted sound that's meant to communicate. So, so all the input components, which we can talk about, and then also the way we receive it. And not only the mechanics of the way we receive it, but the mental biases and symbolism and meaning that we attach to the sound we are receiving. And so I wonder like in the research, how do you guys frame the inputs and the receiver?
2: Well, the receiver is, is the brain and uh, so, you know, there are sound waves that you know very well all about because you you work with sound, um, but then they are received by the brain. And the brain, um, the currency of the nervous system is electricity. So the neurons transform the sound into electrical impulses. And as scientists, we can measure what kind of a job your brain is doing at processing that sound so you know we put some sensors some uh, electrodes on the scalp and uh, while sounds are being delivered to the participant we can really get a sense of uh, how their brain is making sense of sound and very much um, what is important in how our brain makes sense of sound is how we have lived our life in sound. So our life in sound very much, you know, makes me and you today the way we are and the way we receive information from sound.
1: Okay, I want to I slow that bit down. There's so much in there. So when I'm receiving sound, in, initially, I like dominantly think of it coming through my ears as a perceiving organism. Sorry about the beeping. So when I hear that initially, I think of it coming through my ears as the perceiving organism and translating into meaning, but I never thought of it as translating it into an electrical impulse, number one. And then the second thing that hit me was that it's not just through my ears because I'm also feeling it in my cells, like as a vibratory thing. I think of blind of, of deaf people, right? Who like feel who go stand in front of the speaker at a rave and like feel the pulse of the coming through their body overall. So so and then that these inputs. Are the tonality, the rhythm, the pacing, but they're also the content. As sound comes in to the body, is it then splitting into multiple electrical current kind of channels? How do how do those different packets of information travel inside the brain?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. So, so the first part of my book is really about how sound works. You know how just about just what sound is and then how the nervous system, how our brain does this amazing job translating the sound into the electricity, into the neural impulses. So the first thing that you said was, you know, you think of sound entering the ear. Well, of course it has to enter the ear, but a lot of people, when they think of hearing, they think of the ear, but that's just the beginning of the story because um, you know, we hear through, we hear with our brains. And what, again, many people don't really realize, and something that we have discovered through science is how the hearing brain is vast. And it includes, for for everyone, whether you are hearing impaired or not, for all of us, our hearing is connected to um, how we feel, so, you know, how we feel about the sound. So our emotion, it's connected to how we move because sound is movement, it's the movement of molecules. And for me to be producing sound now, I'm moving. And so movement is very much a part of, of sound and, and we synchronize our movements as well. Uh, so that's a very important part. There is what we know about sound. So if we speak another language, The the, the different ways, if we're a musician, that we can think about sound, um, that is important. You mentioned attention. Uh, You know, are you paying attention to the foreground or the background? There's memory. There is um, how sound connects with our other senses. You know, you talked about vibration and vision and uh, what we smell. Uh, All of these are connected. In fact, in the brain and, and really what I talk about in this book is and, and I, I love, you know, I, I, I study this and I, I hear the story and read the story about sound in the brain and how it all is, is, is put together so beautifully and richly and magically that, you know, I, I love to hear the story again and again and again, even though I know I, I know a lot of it. Um, but so for the first part of the book, I really tell the story about um, how sound works and how this transformation from sound in the world to our own brains, how, how this happens. And it's, 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 it's really, to me, um, a glorious story. And, and, and then from then, the second or the largest part of the book is really about our sonic selves and how our life and sound changes us and influences who we are and how we engage with the world and with each other.
1: I have such a sense of delight as you're speaking Um, lately, I've been really in this perceptual field of the way frequency works, like the way the giving and receiving of energy works in the physical world, like whether it's wind hitting your body, and you're receiving the wind, and your body is giving way and having these experiences, and it's moving around you or currents in the water, that this, this experience of being in a constant interchange with the environment, for me has been primarily visual or tactile. But as you're speaking about sound. It's the exact same. Like I'm, I seek silence often because and silent is far from silent. <laughs> you know, what the quiet it gets, the more you hear, you know, and, and that the, and the difference between being in the city and in the, in the involuntary and overwhelming kinds of sounds that surround me in that space versus going out to our farm and being in the dawn chorus or being down here in my little pod studio where there's nothing except the occasional hum of the fan that, that all of those have a incredibly different impact on my nervous system. And I don't know if that's like, you're saying my sonic self, is that personal to me or is that more universal? Do we, can we draw conclusions about what kind of sound impacts the body of humans in general in the most optimal way?
2: Well, both. You know, I mean, there are generalizations that we can make about about, uh, human beings and uh, the environments that they live in and the city and the country and various things like that. Um, But ultimately, the most interesting is how it relates to us on an individual level. But I I really, let's talk about what you said. You have been intrigued with this idea of, uh, Ian McGilchrist calls betweenness, uh, so it is, it is this, this interaction, this reciprocity from one, say, person to another. And we're doing it right now, right? And, and we're, we're improvising. I mean, you know, we, we are sonic improvisers. We don't have a script, but we are responding to what the other is saying. And there is, you know, there's you and there's me, and then there's this space between us. And this betweenness is, it, to me, one of the most precious things that, that that we have in life, and what I think is a truth that I try to bring out in my book over and over again, is that sound connects us. Mm. And so, you know, I, I I felt like this is something that I want to tell about, I want to talk about and talk about it from a, you know, a biological level because I'm, I am a biologist. And, and so can't hear you. I've lost you. I'm back. Um, so see what happens when sound goes away. I know I missed you. <laughs> see we, 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 we broke this connection that we were starting. We were
1: developing. right It's a perfect example. And what I was, what I was saying is even in, the world of philosophy, psychology, trauma healing, the buzzwords right now are field awareness. And that the possibility of healing exists in the field between people. It's not like located inside of an individual person only. And that if you're in a room working a process with one person and there are others in the room who are resonant with that process, they will also be healed in some way. And so the timing of this, of this discussion on sound as uh, the manifestation of the betweenness and how it's governing our lives all the time, I think is fitting with a a global story that's emerging on understanding how we're related and how we impact each other, whether it's the environment or anything. So I'm super excited that you're bringing this forward now. Tell me a little bit about this uh, sonic self and like what are the things that create the sonic self as we're growing up, or as we're part of a culture, what are the what are the factors in that?
2: Yeah, so our experience in sound, our life in sound, uh, very much changes how we make sense of sound, and and you know I think this is a general biological truth that you know we have a nervous system that uh, adapts and changes based on what we do, and again you know I think that this is a very important point to make from a, um, you know, how do we spend our lives standpoint? You know, the decisions that we make, because in fact, it matters and it matters to our brain. It matters to biologically who we become. So, um, you know, to, just to give you some examples, my, my, my husband is a, is a musician and uh, not only that, but he, uh, he, he, he has worked as a motorcycle mechanic for, for years. And uh, so we'll walk down the street and, you know, I will hear, oh, a motorcycle. And he will say, oh, this is exactly this kind of motorcycle and it has this particular engine. And, you know, he can his understanding and his ability to make sense of the same sonic information that I'm hearing is so much more profound because of his life in sound. And so what do I mean by life and sound? I mean the sound to meaning connections that we make. So when we're learning to speak, we're connecting sound to meaning. So, you know, you, as, as, as a baby, you learn that um, things have, have, have words. And, uh, you know, and this is why uh, the way that you uh, make sense of sound is very important for how we read. You know, people don't even realize sometimes that, um, you know, they, they said, well, you know, well, reading is visual. Why, why should it matter how my brain perceives sound? Well, it, it's, in fact, before you can read, you need to make these connections between sound and meaning until then, you know, you can eventually uh, transfer it into a, a symbol system of, oh, yeah, this particular sound looks like that. So a lot goes into our sonic selves. And so our lives and sound, you know, for example, my, my I, I grew up in a, in a household where more than one language was spoken. That I think really made a big difference in my sonic self. Uh, my mom was a musician. I liked to hang out under the piano uh, with my little toys while she played because it just felt great to be there. And, and so I think each one of us have our histories, we have our lives in sound that contribute to how we hear the world and consequently how we interact with that world.
1: This is a kind of a sonic literacy conversation, you know, like, you're, like the fact that he can read motorcycle or some people can read individual bird song or you can um, understand that the parallels between different languages Using different sounds to mean the same physical object—I mean, extend that in any direction. I was thinking of woodworking tools and how a particular kind of tool and a particular kind of wood make a sound, or you know. So, so to the extent that you're tuned in, or even let's take the trauma side of that, like the sound of a, a missile whistling down toward your village, like these all form different sonic imprints that then influence the rest of your life. So, uh, sonic literacy. And, and I want to tie it in a little bit, this idea of musicality. Like, are we all musicians that are just not literate?
2: Oh, yeah. It, it, every one of us, you know, with, with very, very, very few exceptions, um, we are all musical. And uh, Isabel Peretz is a scientist in Canada who has studied this uh, for decades. Um, and, and you know, she finds that, you know, if you look at, at a bell curve of you know, people who are able to make sense of of the, the tones and the rhythms of sound. Everybody can do that with just a couple of people at the extremes. You know, there are a few people who really have difficulty making sense of sound and some people who are just like genius making, you know, Mozart's. But for the most part, all of us, whether we are formally trained and, and this is again why it's so important to be thinking about this as we live our lives you know you have a baby you have a baby on your lap and you can take his little feet and you know bang them together and sing a little song and the baby you know feels the entrainment with you and the rhythm and the sound and you know we're all musical we don't have to have a beautiful voice an operatic you don't have to be Renee Fleming to sing to our babies, right?
1: Yeah. Who, by the way, Renee Fleming, if you're not tracking her, is also an activist for sound healing, sound medicine. She's even got a foundation that's doing stuff in that area. Uh, but like, let's go back to this. Here's the baby. Everybody's self-interested to certain level, so they want to create the optimal sound environment for their own functioning, for their child's uh, brain development, all of those things. So, in this generalization category, uh, what are the things that we can do to cultivate an optimal sound environment?
2: Spending time um, listening, you know, just just being aware that that sound that's, that sound exists, and, and I think you know one of the problems. Is that you know we live in a, a very noisy world, and so you know we've almost lost the ability to to listen. And there are so many cues. I mean, even as, as you talk, you know, one on one, or you talk in a room, you know, th- there are sonic cues. Just just like as as I can hear you draw in your breath before you speak you you learn those cues and and you know you know like if if your good friend is calling you on the phone even before they say hello you can even tell by the way they are about to say hello that that it's them them.
1: or even what kind of mood they're in
2: (laughs) that's that's a huge part that's an enormous because as i said before the sound brain is vast and it is connected very deeply to how we feel and so you know right away my, you know, my sons will, will uh, you know, call me and, and just based on the sound of my voice, they'll, they'll say, what's wrong, mommy? And, and, and you know, you can, you can hear that. And, and we, we learn so much. You know, for example, we, you know, we all know the sound of, of home, you know, and, and, and you probably haven't even thought about it so much. But, you know, for example, I was talking to one of my sons on, on, on telephone when he was actually in Paris and I was in Chicago, and um, and and so we're talking. And at a certain point, he could hear the the birds that were in the background um, where I was. And I live in a little town called Evanston. And he said, oh, "Evanston birdies," <laughs> you know, like we all know the sound of home. And um, and and again, that that that's very personal to each one of us i mean it's, it's a general principle that all of us have a, a sonic environment but but you know we we know in particular what our sonic environment is but so it's important to make choices so for example learning a musical instrument is tremendously important or, you know singing counts of course but making music is one of the best ways to strengthen your sound mind. And again, you don't have to be a professional musician. My gosh, um, you know, sing to your kids and, and lear- learn to play any instrument because you are making, again, these sound-meaning associations. I-, I like to think, you know, as I said before, the sound mind, which is the title of my book, the sound mind is vast, and it consists of, um, you know, we can, we can call our cognitive sensory motor and reward circuits. So, you know, cognitive, what we know, what we think, what we remember, what we pay attention to sensory, um, all our other senses, what we see, what we smell, reward is how we feel and motor is how we move. So that is our sound mind, that's our hearing brain. And music, making music is the jackpot for that. Because think about it, You know, when you make music, you engage your feelings, you engage your movement, you engage what you know, uh, you engage what you remember, you engage your other senses as you move rhythmically and look at the people you might be making music with. It really, music engages the sound mind and makes us then um, able to hear and listen to things all over the world. You know, music makes us global citizens, because you know once you learn some things about music um, you know it, it, it's a way of communicating even if you don't speak the same language you know I, I would say making music uh, is one of the most important things both in terms of, of music you know education that's something that every child should learn and as we you know get older even in, in terms of, of medicine the idea of music medicine is a very important part of um, of healing that, again, you know, I, I think that music should be an integral part of our lives. But we are in a position to make choices for ourselves, for our society, for our children, for educationally and, and, and programmatically. Think, so Here, here's an example. Um, we've all been to airports, right? Airports are inherently noisy places, and they have to be because you have a lot of people moving, um, and and planes are noisy and you have conveyor belts um, so you know that has to be a part of the experience but do we really need to hear the, the you know the, the little carts that bring people along um, going beep 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 beep, beep um, so so loud I mean I've been to, to some uh, airports in in uh, in Europe, where they have a little a little bicycle bell that just goes ding 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 ding, you know. Um, do we need to have the, the 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 television on all the time at at the gates? Do we need to be listening to the, the person next to me is getting a text message every minute? Um, do I need to hear that bing bing, or the guy who's on the the
1: loudspeaker who's basically telling you to, you know the terrorist warnings every five minutes that like all of that stuff. I find that all so invasive that when I move through the airport, I
2: wear these big noise blocking headphones. Yeah. And, and, and but that's something you can do. I mean, we really can um, make choices, but, but people don't think about this, you know, think about um, as you're boarding a gate, every time the boarding pass goes across a little thing, the scanner, it goes bing, bing. Thing. it's really loud, too. You know, think of the poor flight
1: person. I I'm just getting anxious with you right? just listing all these things I have. Like, I don't even need to hear it. Like, the, the invasive nature. So so the idea of designing constructed environments, taking sound invasion into account, it sounds like that, there's that, that must be an entire field of
2: expertise. It ought to be. And it's something that uh, <laughs> you know, Geneva is interested in. Uh, um in, in in interior design and it it's really something that every space that that is designed should be designed with respect to the sonic environment and there are some things you know like you you can, in an airport you cannot change the, the the sound of the engines there are some things you can't change but all of the things that I've listed and there are many many more uh you know including the, the, the last call for the flight that they now give you the last call for the 17th time. Right. You can change that. So you can take this thing, this
1: concept and say in the spaces I do have control over, um, I can design my sonic environment in my home or in my office. And, and the first thing is to be aware that there is a sonic environment and that it's impacting your neurobiology all the time. And that the, even, even just saying that will, spark some ideas in terms of how you want to live, I believe.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and how, you know, you, you already are wearing ear, ear protection in an airport, for example. And that, that means that you've noticed. Well, you know,
1: I didn't, I didn't notice. I'll tell you, um, my, I didn't grow up in a particularly musical family, but I love music and I wanted my children to have music. And so I took them to Suzuki Method which forces parents who are non-musical to come along. So if anybody out there who doesn't know Suzuki Method, it's a way of teaching music to children that mirrors musical families. And so the first thing you do is that you play recordings in the home all the time. And the second thing you do is you come to a group lesson once a week where you listen to other children who are more advanced than you playing the same progression of musical pieces every week from super simple Twinkle Little Star to some advanced symphonic piece. And then you go to private lesson with your parent and you are ear trained before you look at any notes on the page. So you learn to listen and play before you read and write. And so my kids all got ear trained and I was like a remedial pupil in that environment. And when I started to travel, like I went to India for an extended period of time and I was listening to Indian vocals and they have three notes in the place of every one that we have, their ability to like fine parse the the, the scale was like, I couldn't even hear it for years. I couldn't even hear the subtle differences or much less make them. Or you go to uh, places where the language is tonal and I, and you can't, as a Westerner, often not even hear those tonal differences. And so this this exposure to music, um, it's, it's, we're still neuroplastic. It's important to do it young, but I didn't learn it until I was an adult. So the awareness of sound didn't start until I was well into my 30s, I believe. And so, you know, if that helps anybody out there, if, even if you're, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, like many of you are in my listener base, you can still change it.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I'm really glad that, that you brought that up because people think, oh, is it too late? It's never too late. And we really know from a biological standpoint that the sound mind changes until we die, just based on the interactions that we have.
1: So we're going to limit invasive sound. We're going to encourage music. You, you mentioned sound medicine before, but can you actually heal the body through sound?
2: Uh, you know the, the use of sound in medicine is ancient and um, and, and you know there are, are various ways in which um, sound can heal. So one way is rhythm. For example, if you think of of, of a disorder, Parkinson's disease is a motor disorder that you know affects one's ability to, to move purposefully and to uh, move in a uh, fluid manner. And it turns out that l- listening to sounds and learning to engage with the rhythm of the sound and the beat is something that helps uh, jumpstart this the nervous system, that um, is having difficulty with fluid movement. So, uh, you know, again, it, it, it depends on the, the particular issue that you are addressing with with music. Um, you know, certainly in for memory disorders, Alzheimer's disease. If you haven't seen a movie called Alive Inside, uh, you should see it because you know it really s- speaks to how we have a sonic soundtrack of our lives. So we have songs that that we learned um, throughout our lives that if we listen to now, because our sound mind contains our sonic memories, when we hear those tunes, we are are brought to to life. And these memories uh, come into being and help a person become more connected with the
1: world, right? So we have Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. It sounds like has studies against them. Uh, what about things like depression or anxiety? Are do we are there good studies of sound working for those kinds of conditions?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know there have been studies. You know, on the one hand, there there is listening to music, but making music is really a a, a very important part, engaging with life and engaging with the world. You know, the idea that in, in schools, for example, kids who might be at risk um, for for depression or at risk for dropping out of school to get people actually engaged in making music, which is something that you do in a group as well as individually. Uh, it, it, it is something that, um, you know, people, people get health benefits from. And you know, so you know, there there have been good studies showing that making music, for example, uh, can help with a lot of psychological psychiatric illnesses. But you know, I, I can tell you just anecdotally from my own experience. You know, when I when I wake up in the morning, uh, morning's not my best time, and sometimes I don't feel especially hopeful. And I have learned over the last couple of years that if I make it a point to make some music just to sit down at the piano, it doesn't matter what I play, but I just play some music for, you know, even as little as five minutes and if I can make it, you know, twenty five minutes, well that's that's even better. But I, I just find that 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 making music from a mood and a psychological standpoint just changes my outlook. And so by the time I'm ready to, you know, hop on my bike to, to go off to work, I'm, I'm you know, God is in his heaven. One thing
1: in, in that approach is you're not just a receiver, but you're an agent in your own health and wellness. And the locus of control goes from receiving something that someone else has given you to producing it. And I, I love that. Like um, a good in the yoga world, morning chant is part of the daily way of bringing in the morning. And it feels the same. We do a practice. uh, Have you ever sung in a choir?
2: Oh, yeah. It, but and that that is a great example of this betweenness we were talking about. Have you ever sung harmony with somebody? Yeah. Okay. So exactly right.
1: Like, or 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 like I remember once being, um, you know, when I was younger, I had a higher voice, the higher soprano. So I'm way at the far end of a curve of 80 people, and at the exact opposite end is a man with like basso profundo, you know, and. And, like, to stand and sing and hear them echoing across and the, what the collective conjoined sound was, it was miraculous. Like, just a sense of creating a whole organism with others. The only thing that I can think of that comes close, uh, we do this exercise as part of the morning sing that's called Passing the tone. which if, if you have never done is you sit in a circle, and one person begins a tone and then they attempt to sustain that tone the whole time they can breathe, of course. And then the person on either side of them, the two people, listen as deeply as they can and they try to match and sustain the tone until it passes all the way around the circle That and everyone is singing the same sound. But they're doing it by first leaning into the person next to them and listening as deeply as they can and synchronizing their heart and then beginning the sound. And by the time that's passed around and then everybody's like sol- solidly together, then they begin improvising. And uh, by the time you're done with five or 10 minutes of that, like you said, God is right to have it or whatever. <laughs> it definitely feels like you've, you've entered into a, a co-created space of peace.
2: Right, because it, it is this reciprocity that we spoke about earlier. And I think singing harmony or, or, or this past the tone um, exercise that, that you're talking about is, is perfect because, you know, you're um, you're listening and then you are making a movement with your mouth. You're creating a sound. You're listening to your own sound. You're listening to the sound that someone else is making. You are modifying the way your sound is and how you need to adjust and move your body accordingly in order to be um, aligned with the person that you are creating sound with. Um, so, you know, cre- creating sound and creating sound together is, in, in, in terms of something healthy that we can do and that we can foster in our world, is, to my view, so important.
1: We covered a lot in a very short, in our 30 minutes, which is now over, which is a shocker that went so fast. Uh, everything from being aware of the field between us, the sonic environments we create, how sound has created our brain and continues to create us our whole life long, How to take uh, initiative in making music and learning music and mastery, or to protect your ears from unwanted sounds and design spaces from sound. All of these things that are covered in this sounds like an amazing book that's coming out of sound mind and the whole combination of just understanding and thinking about the mechanisms that are inside of your beingness that allow you to perceive this rich world of sound and interact with it. And then how that in turn creates you and you create um, in the, in this field of sound, of sound play. And of course the medicine piece, which to me is also super exciting that we're finally getting studies that, document what is effectively a superbly holistic way of engaging the mind-body for optimal health without a lot of invasive, expensive medicine tools. So I could talk to you all day, and I have the feeling that if we were hanging out in Evanston, those bells on campus, do they still ring? They They used to have a big chapel that and that's my sound print of Evanston. We're like the waves crashing. You know, there are things of, of like being on campus that had their own sound print. So I'll think of you there.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things that that I would like people to be to be thinking about, you know, again, in, in my book of Sound Mind, you will find um, illustrations. So there are 80 illustrations that I've worked in partnership with uh, an artist, Katie Shelley, um, to, to, to create what I think of as the art in science, which is, you know, it, it is, it is there. You know, there is so much art in science, and to actually uh, convey scientific ideas artistically is, is something that I care about. And, and, and the other thing is the, the book is full of personal stories, I'm a biologist, and, um, you know, we have a lot of biological knowledge, but science is created by human beings, and so it's it's a deeply human endeavor, and I think that we can't lose sight of that, and so I hope that that comes across in the book as well. Finally, I, I do want to make sure that uh, any listeners, if they are interested beyond the book is to, you know, do check out our, our magical website, which is a, a labor of love. It's um, brainvolts at northwestern edu And, um, you know, you can, I hope it's created for you, as is this book. This book is really created for an intellectually and spiritually curious person, which I think your listeners are, Christine.
1: And we'll put it, we'll put it, yes, they are. We have, and we're covering a lot of topics, but all of them are aimed at creating more freedom uh, and more like unwinding beliefs or a little bit more awareness and so that people can live a a more choiceful and optimized life. And we'll put all that in the show notes. Hey, I just wondered, are you related to Bernie Krause, the sound ecologist?
2: No, no, I'm not. But, um, you know, it's really cool, the work that he has done throughout his life with sound um so you know we've we've been corresponding yeah
1: bernie Krause wrote a book i believe called the great animal orchestra but his primary contribution was going out and recording soundscapes before they were destroyed by development so he'd go into places and he had a vast library 40 50 years or something of these untouched native soundscapes and he contributed i want to say to environmental ecology, the, the idea that you could take a five-minute imprint of the dawn chorus and get just as accurate a species count as late volunteers out in the field for a month trying to count. And then then the, in the fires in 2018, his library burned down. And so other than what he would already donated, I think, to the Cornell Ornithology Lab and some other places, like life's work of these incredible soundscapes, just, you know, gone. However his thinking about the soundscape of nature being not only a valid data point, but like how nature governs itself. I it was really powerful work. But I, I do feel that you both are doing such magical work.
2: Well, Christine, thank you very much for your interest in, in all the things that, that you bring to your listeners. And uh, thank you for your uh, interest in, in what we do at Brainvolts and in my book, of Sound Mind and I hope that uh that, that, that people will enjoy reading it.
0: If you're interested in getting a copy of the Sound Mind, please enter on Instagram by tagging me at the dot rose dot woman and at rosebudwoman, my company, using the hashtag soundmind. Then we can find you. Also make a mention of one thing that you learned from or enjoyed from this episode. We're going to poll a winner on October 21st. So if you're listening later than that, October 21st, 2021, then um, just go buy the book anyway and support the kind of research that Dr. Nina Krauss is doing in the world. Also, if you would do me a favor and if there was something in this episode you liked, please text a friend the link to the episode because that's how we grow. That's how we grow the listener base. I hope you're well, perfect health, perfect peace, perfect blessings to you and everyone you care about. See you later.